who's playing. Exactly. And here is episode 206 with my Sabretooth microphone. Big Rat and I are here. Greg Thompson will be by in a little bit. Um, a couple notes and news we want to get into before Greg gets here. The first being, I was going to actually, you know what? I'm going to say this because I know last night, for those of you who listened to it, I recorded a Patriot-centric podcast with McGarvin. But one thing that was left out of that was the news that broke today. I think that the fact that they publicly have come out and said we're interviewing for a OC and the fact, too, that Gerard Mayo gets a head coaching job and they're saying to him, uh, no, we're going to negotiate with you, speaks two things to me. One, that Robert Kraft lit a fucking fire under Bill's ass, basically saying, hey, what happened this past year can't happen again. And the other one, too, is I fully expect Gerard Mayo to be the official defensive coordinator for this team in 2023. So that's what I want to say there. Also, I'm going to say this with the Patriots, too. I don't think it's going to be Cliff or even Bill O'Brien. I think it's going to be a name that no one expects. I think it's going to be someone out of left field. Like, say, for example, I don't know, your former wide receiver coach, Chad O'Shea, or uh, even Zach uh, Zach, Bryan, Zach O'Brien from the uh, Rams, their passing game coordinator. I'm trying to remember if I what – about, What about Adam Gase? Even him. That's the thing. Adam Gase as an OC wasn't even a problem. Adam Gase in Miami wasn't even a bad coach. It was Adam Gase in a shitty situation in New York that was bad. Because even his first year in New York, that was a 7-9 football team. It's not like they had two years of mediocrity. Um, The other thing I'll say, too, right now is with our division, as I've been talking to Danny, man, Joe Douglas has to hit a home run or he's getting fired. I'm sorry. I think that's just the God's honest truth. I may may have uh, lashed out at Danny and Miguel after the Dolphins made the playoffs because I was so tired of hearing their jokes for two years. That um, I finally... Miguel lashed out at me this morning. I don't know if you saw that. I did not, but I can only imagine it based on how he reacted to me. I can only imagine what he said to you in a similar way. Uh, but yeah, I reacted very aggressively. Uh, kind of like, you know, you dish it, you take it kind of mentality. They were throwing their insults at the Dolphins and at Tua. So it's only fair that I punch back uh, when my team makes the playoffs and theirs doesn't. And uh, <clears throat> But Danny, like, yeah, it seems like Salah and Joe Douglas are both kind of running out of time, uh, to say the least. Uh, I, I, I know Woody Johnson said there's no playoff mandate, but he kind of has to say that publicly, you know, like, yeah. reflect his inner feelings. So a lot of pressure on them next year. Oh, hundred percent. There's a lot of pressure on the jets next year, just because like, look, you finished the season the way you finished it. Do I think the Brees hall thing was a big factor? Yes. But at the same time too, I will die on this Hill. Them losing that second game to the Patriots hurt them more than I think a lot of people realize. And they, then I think also to the jet fans want to publicly, publicly admit. Think about it because the Jets this year, they split with everyone else. They split with the Bills. They split with you guys, even though they never saw Tua all year. And then with the Patriots, what happened? Patriots going to MetLife, take care of business. Marcus Jones runs a punt return back at the buzzer for the win. So it's just those little things there with the Jets where next year, you got to go, I think, a minimum of three and three in division play. That's your worst case scenario in division play next year for the Jets. Yeah, for all for all the growth they had, they finished fourth in the division again. Now, yeah. and like, I guess, I, I think they hit the over. I think their win total was six and a half. So they ever so slightly hit the over on that. Yeah. Um, so I guess you could still say it was above expectations. But at the end of the day, they finished fourth in the division. They went two and four in the division. So, yeah. you know, like they're still – there's still work to be done. I think the trap with the Jets, with that whole Jets team, is that everyone is going to think, okay, as long as they get a new quarterback, now it's a playoff team. And I think that's tricky. I definitely can understand that the defense was great, that Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker both getting hurt on the same day, like really hurt their offense. Yeah. But I think it's really dangerous to just think you can bring in Derek Carr and then you'll go 10 and 7. I think they'll bring in Derek Carr, there'll be a lot of hype. All summer, everyone's going to be like, they were just a quarterback away. All they needed was a quarterback. And people are going to have high expectations. And if they don't meet those high expectations, that's how people get fired. So That was the other thing, too, where everyone – because, like, that's the reason why Miguel lashed out at me today because I basically know there's a lot of people in New England who want a new quarterback. And Derek Carr's cap numbers came out today, and I literally said, that's a no thank you for New England. Like, the what he's due is what New England's – like, basically pretty close to what New England's cap number is. They have, like, $53 million in cap to spend this offseason which I think will get inflated a little bit when cuts and trades occur because I think there's going to be some shakeup. Um, but that's the thing, though, where I don't think Derek – and also, too, for Derek Carr. Someone released Derek Carr's numbers in Vegas, and they were very comparable to Matt Stafford in Detroit. Yeah. But I don't think Derek Carr going to the team like the Jets is going to take them over the moon. It's not. 
it's going to be, hey, like there's a lot more to it because with Derek Carr, it's not like, oh, like we always knew this hat, he had this tap potential in him. I still think Derek Carr had that. If he doesn't get hurt in 2016, I think it's a completely different conversation with him. I think it's a quarterback that has much more confidence, much more swagger to him, um, and, and all that stuff. But we'll see what they do. We'll see what route they go down. It's just a matter of that number because if they do that, you can't really improve anywhere else because the Jets really have to pr- improve their offensive line. I know their offensive line coach got fired. I know Mike LaFleur going after other opportunities. I think that's Salah not wanting to fire him. I think they just said, like, hey, instead of us firing you, go take a job somewhere else so we can, like, you know, shake your hand on the way out. Like, what happened to Dave? What happened to David Gettleman in New York last year? You know, where they kind of gave him his roses on the way out. Like, we don't want to fire you, but we respectfully want you to get the fuck out. So it's kind of like that. That's how I view it with the Mike LaFleur situation, especially, too, because Danny's constant bitching about him. Um, Trust me, folks, we talk a lot more than he's been on the podcast, which we got to get him back on here. He was going to be on here last week, but he didn't feel like talking about football because Geno Smith broke his heart. Um, One other note I want to point out about my team quickly because I want your opinion on this. And I want you to go and read this article afterwards because there was a guest that was on my show this year who got to cover the New England Patriots. His name is Kyrie Thompson. He works for WEEI in Boston. And basically, he posted an article today that I really agreed with. It's getting harder and harder to see Mac Jones as a future elite NFL quarterback. But what if the Patriots don't need him to be slash care if he is? why Bill Belichick might believe Jones can still suit his purpose. So basically the article goes into details where it's like, you know what? Mac doesn't have to be a top 10 guy, but he can still lead this team. That's the angle for it. So it's an article worth checking out guys. I'll link it in there and I'm going to get Kyrie back on here at some point to talk about it more in detail. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very valid. I think that's very, very valid and very, very helpful. And I think it's just generally true. Like, I, th- I think it was Robert Mays from The Ringer that said it's getting very, very annoying that every quarterback has to be elite or else they're, like, a disappointment. Yeah. And it got really a great, like, um, a great, like, a representation of this is that Connor Hughes – Connor Hughes or Connor Rogers? I always forget. I always confuse them. They're both guys – Connor like, Hughes, the Jets reporter? And, and yeah. he's, like – he covers both, Jets and Giants. Yes, and one one of them, like, I think Connor Rogers is the one who works for SNY, and Connor Hughes, like, works for Badlands. I always forget. But in any event, one of the Connors said they would rather take a gamble on Zach Wilson than Mac Jones in 2023. They know Mac Jones is better. They made that very clear. But because Zach Wilson has the arm strength, he theoretically has more upside. And it's worth chasing that because Jones doesn't have that ceiling, so it's not worth it. And that's when like, we go too far with this discussion, where it's like we would rather take proven bad quarterbacks because they have strong arms because they yeah. theoretically have upside. Like This whole Josh Allen year three turnaround has completely destroyed the way we talk about quarterbacks now. And I just think Mac Jones is more than good enough to – take a team to the playoffs to win a playoff game or two. Like Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. I know people always give that example in the other direction being too far. But the point is, I, I see no reason to believe why Mac, with a great team around him, you know, it doesn't matter if he himself is not great, if the team is great. And the Patriots have a history of that. So I think that's fine. Exactly. That's the thing. I just wanted to say quickly. Um, before Greg gets on here, do we want to go over some lines quickly this week just to see more or less where we stand on covers more than victory? Yeah. Yeah, we can speed through them. There's no. So, do we see a world where Seattle could cover the nine and a half? I see a world, but I will personally take the ten on uh, San Fran. And you know, I I never ever do that, especially in division games. That's like suicide. Like, so and theoretically, it's like a Brock Purdy in a playoff game. I basically I can see both teams not scoring a lot in this game. I could see a world where it's halftime, it's only 9-6 San Francisco, and that's like a moral victory for Seattle to keep it close. But then all San Fran has to do is score one second-half touchdown to make it, you know, 16-6, and then you cover the 9.5. And And that's kind of how I see that game going. Like, I don't think it's going to be a 30-3 blowout or anything. I do think it will be a reasonably close game. But insofar as I think Seattle is going to struggle to score a little bit, Despite having really good receivers, despite Geno having a good year, I just think it's a really tough test against that defense on the road. And uh, so I just think Seattle's going to really struggle to score more than 14 points. 
So I just think San Francisco will do just enough to cover the nine and a half. But again, I, you know, I hate taking those numbers. But. I'm the, I'm the same way too. You really got me on that, but I'm going with a score of San Francisco 24 to 10. I think that's going to happen where it's kind of like, but I can see that score though being like, you know, 14 to like three at the half or like 14 or like, or like, or like 10 to seven or something like that. But then San Francisco just gets a couple of second half touchdowns or really like, you know, just put the clamps on them. So that's where I can see that happening. I, I also don't trust Gino to not turn it over because he has, according to PFF, he still has one of the higher turnover worthy play percentages in the league. The interceptions aren't always caught, but especially the San Fran defense is so good that like, I just can't see him having zero interceptions. And as insofar as he has one, that gives San Fran the short field, you know, to have the, the score that they need. And remember week two, the last time they played at Levi Stadium yeah. was the game after Denver where they got absolutely roasted. I think it was like 27 to 7. I know a lot of people were on Seattle to cover because they were like, oh, they just beat the Denver Broncos. And that's before I think we realized the Denver Broncos were as bad as they were. And the Seahawks' only touchdown was on a block kick return. It wasn't even an offensive score. Exactly. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm going with San Francisco on the nine and a half as well. Uh next one, I'm gonna go with the char I want to go with the Chargers on the two and a half, but I'm really tempted to take Jacksonville on the because it's the two and a half. I can see this being like a really goofy, goofy score. Not too too high, but I can see like a I don't know, let's throw out a fun score. Let's throw out uh 27 to 25. You know, like some weird like fluke stuff happens, like maybe like something like that to really put the clamps down where it's like 23 to 20, but then Jack's uh, like they get a late touchdown, but then they still cover the number. Um, but the one thing I will say about this game, though, I really like the over 47 and a half between Jacksonville and Los Angeles on Saturday night. I don't like who's announcing the game, but I like the over and I like Jacksonville to cover, but I like LA to win the game. I think that I think that um, I'm going to take the Jags, but I think it's close. There's a reason why this is the lowest spread of the weekend for any of the games i guess in some places the chargers are favored a little more than the cowboys are but still it's pretty close and uh yeah i think the chargers i don't know if mike williams is gonna play i know staley keeps saying he's gonna play but he didn't practice all week remember for everyone watching remember they this is a saturday game so that's that's a short week for the chargers when he had that back injury and he already had three straight dnps and staley keeps saying that he thinks he's gonna play he just needs to rest the back but I'm not so sure. And I think if he plays, he could re-aggravate it, leave the game midway through the first quarter or something like that. And I do think that really matters. I think they their offense started to play better when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were both in the field at the same time. They they That game against the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football, that was the first game all season that both were on the field at the same time. It hadn't happened any game before that. That's so. Just- scary to think about uh, which is wild yeah so i i just think i think that's gonna limit uh the chargers offense a little bit and i think the chargers are gonna need to win this by scoring points um because the jacksonville the jacksonville pass defense is not good this year but they do generate a lot of turnovers and i trust the jaguars to be able to put some scoring drives on their own so i think the chargers of these two teams you know the jaguars i believe i'll look this up to be sure for our boy randy i believe the jaguars rank higher in overall dvoa they have for most even when the jaguars were like two and six they were still in the top 10 of dvoa the whole year which speaks to how dvoa is a good stat at assessing team quality for that reason and yeah, yeah look, exactly the jaguars are 13th on the season in dvoa the Chargers are 18th, and the game's in jacksonville so i'm gonna take the jaguars in a close one jaguars by a field goal um, and then New York, Minnesota with our boy, Danny, Danny Dimes. Unfortunately, they couldn't put him in the primetime slot because that would have been amazing yeah. to get that in a podcast on primetime. That would have been incredible if we got another one of those shows in because they put his game at night. We had so one all year. We got blessed with a second one for 200. Oh, it would have been amazing. Um, you know what, though? I think this. I think this is where Kirk Cousins can really rewrite a narrative about his career. My only scary thing is, though, him and 4 o'clock this year has been hell. His Two of his losses was the Minnesota game two weeks ago and then the Dallas game where I literally sniffed Dallas was minus one and a half. Um, one thing I like about this game, I don't know if I like the fight. I think, if anything, I would take the Giants to cover the three, but I really like that over 48 and a half. Yeah, it's it's... Did you say the Giants or the Vikings to cover the three? I, mean, I like the Giants. I like the Vikings to win, but I like the Giants to cover the three. I can easily see this yeah. being another field goal game like we got a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's this this one's the hardest one for me on the slate. This is the one I don't have a strong opinion on because 
if the Vikings win, they're going to win close. They don't yeah. blow anyone out. They haven't all year. The mo- their best case scenario was winning by a touchdown. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think if the Vikings win, it's going to be close. I The Giants have been playing better. Their defense especially has been playing a lot better lately. And uh, as a result, you could really see them giving Kirk Cousins trouble. I saw a stat also that Kirk – Kirk this year is terrible against the Blitz. He's like 32nd in the league against the uh, with passer rating against the Blitz. And who's the D.C. Old, that loves to run against – and who's the defensive coordinator that loves to utilize the Blitz? Good old Doc Wink Martindale for yeah. the New York football Giants. And for and for those listening, yes, there's, there's some quarterbacks – a lot of quarterbacks are worse against pressure generally. But not all of them are worse against the Blitz. Some are better against the Blitz because, like, like quarterbacks like Brady, like, release the ball right away. They know where to go. Yeah. But Kirk is not just worse. He's, like, it's he's 32nd in the league. Like, ev- like every other bad quarterback is better than him against the Blitz than he is. So I think that's a bad matchup for Minnesota. But the game is in Minnesota. I do think the Vikings are – like, like everyone, I don't think the Vikings are true contenders. I don't think they're one of the teams that has a legitimate chance to win the NFC – but the game is at home. Yeah. It had been tough. Like that 33 point comeback, you got to give them credit. Like that's not easy to do. And that's to me, the plus three and a half right here. <laughs> and that kind of Colts plus three and a half did still cover <laughs> amazingly. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Like, I think I do think the Vikings are probably going to win by a field goal, but I think on the spread, it's really close. Like I, it can go either way. It just seems like either team is going to win by three points. So when I get plus three, I don't really know what to do with it. Give me Vikings 27-24. I think that was a score last time, but that just seems like a score that I can easily see happening again. Um, and then Sunday night, uh, give me Cincinnati in a blowout and give me the under in that game. I can see uh, – give me give me Cincinnati to win 27-7. to uh, Okay, I guess we're on different sides here on this one. So I definitely have the Bengals winning, uh, but I'm going to take the Ravens in the spread, even with Tyler Huntley. So I will say, I do think it's going to be Tyler Huntley. Oh, it is Huntley. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be Anthony Brown. Well, it's Anthony, Anthony, if it's Anthony Brown, Brown, it's going to be an ass whooping. Yeah, well, because Brown's going to turn it over, and like the vein, like that they played last week, and yeah. I actually thought the Ravens did the right thing. If you look closely at their injury report, for those listening, the Ravens, it wasn't just that Lamar and Huntley didn't play. They benched Mark Andrews. They benched J.K. Dobbins. They benched mm. Marcus Peters. It was almost like Jim Harbaugh. I mean, John Harbaugh realized. We are probably not going to win this game with Anthony Brown, which means we're probably going to have to play them again next week. So I'm going to give some of my core guys kind of a week off so they'll be healthier for the rematch. The Bengals did not take that approach. The Bengals went balls to the wall the whole game. And the Bengals, all of their touchdown drives came based off turnovers by uh, Anthony Brown. Their, actual, their yards per play for the game was only 4.0, which is really low, like one of the lowest in the leagues. So I can see a world where the Ravens' defense does a good job. Everyone's seen those stats on the internet, the Ravens' defense before and after Roquan Smith. After Roquan yeah. Smith, they're truly one of the best defenses in the league. I think you get – plus there's a lot of veterans on that defense, guys like Calais Campbell, guys like Marcus Peters, guys like Marlon Humphrey. Marcus like Williams. Uh, Marcus Williams and uh, Kyle Hamilton's been playing a lot better towards the second half of the season than he was at the start of the season when my Dolphins kind of abused him back in week two. So I think the Ravens have a lot of talented defensive players. The Bengals, as we know, they didn't just lose Lyle Collins. And we couldn't see the effect of that in the Bills game because they only had like one drive and a half. And last week, they also lost Alex Kappa. So they lost their right tackle and their right guard. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Ravens generate some pressure and play really good defense in this game and keep it close with Tyler Huntley. I I don't think with no Lamar and no um what's his name? No Rashad Bateman. Yeah. I don't think the Ravens can score a lot of points in a Tyler Huntley led offense. But I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to be decently effective at it. And if Tyler Huntley can limit the turnovers, I can see the R- Ravens keeping this game low scoring and close. And I can see it being more of a 20 to 13 kind of game which would cover the eight and a half. So I'll be on the opposite side on that one. But, that, but not, not, a, not a big overall difference in, in, in the general philosophy that the Bengals are going to win. So I'm going to go with what I said earlier about not the blowout, but I still think I can see the Bengals covering the spread. I am going to, when it comes to gambling though, and actually putting money, I'm going to probably go for the under. So I probably do I might do a nice parlay Sunday where I do the over for Minnesota, New York, but I take the under in the Sunday night game. I think that's a really good way to go when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Monday night, I'm not going to say who I think is going to win because I think you all know who I think or want who's going to win. But I'm going to say this not because of his 7-0 record against the Dallas Cowboys. It's because in his last 11 postseasons, Tom Brady has gone 10-1 and in his first 
playoff game. The only time he lost in his last 11 was to Tennessee in his final game as a Patriot. The other one was the 2010 wildcard round versus the uh, – was actually, no, my bad, 2011 when the Jets' last ever playoff win. Oh, the divisional round. Yes, the famous Bart Scott can't wait game. So for that, and also too, I think – I'm not saying Tom's going to go and run the table, but I think that if the Buccaneers go out, they're not going down without a fight. I don't think it's going to be a – I just don't think you're going to see another game where the Buccaneers straight up just get whooped again for in the playoffs. I think this is a game where Tom can keep them in it, but at the end of the day, I think their defense will end up costing them because I don't think their defense is what it once was. I agree with you on that, Um, but I will say – that I, I I guess I'm the only person in America that still believes in the Cowboys because every I mean Jesus almost everything I've seen this week about that game it's like oh the Buccaneers are getting healthier and healthier and healthier and the Cowboys have been, they just got killed by the Redskins I mean the oh, wow the Commanders it's all mind. good it happens yeah jeez wow I, that must have been locked like some deep part of my subconscious I haven't used that word in so long uh, <laughs> yeah so the they got destroyed by the Commanders and the fact that you know, Dak Prescott, like, I think he led the league in interceptions despite missing five games, which is pretty crazy. And I just think people are overreacting a little bit to Dallas's issues. It still would not shock me if the Cowboys beat the Eagles in the divisional round. And I know that means they would have to get to their first ever conference championship game in like 20 years. I understand that. But here's why I think it's possible. So on defense, they still have elite, elite players on that side of the ball. Despite, despite losing Anthony Brown for the season, um, they still like have a really with Dan Quinn, especially like they generally do a good job at generating interior pressure. And I think that really matters against not just Brady specifically, but also because uh, we, I don't know if we know for sure if Ryan Jensen is coming back for the Bucks at center. I haven't seen anything about that. No, but Robert Hainsey, the backup is on the injury report this week and is either not going to play or is going to play like hurt. And I think that really matters in this matchup because Dan Quinn is really, really good at disguising where the pressure looks come from. And they love setting like Micah up the middle or to the sides. And so I think the Cowboys front can do a good job on the Bucks O-line to apply some pressure on Brady. Now on the other side of the ball, yes, Dak has thrown a lot of interceptions. But, you know, Dak, it wasn't too long ago that we thought Dak was a top five quarterback in the NFL. It was only like a year or two ago. when people. Yeah. So I still think that guy is still there. I know the recent weeks have not been encouraging, but I don't think it's gone forever. And I think that with CD and with Gallup, like kind of fully healthy now and with the running backs in the passing game, because if we forget, we forget last year in the season opener, the Cowboys played the box in Tampa and they lost like 31 30 or whatever. We both had kind of cut you off. I remember we, I, I know I had Vikings on the spread in that game. That's how I know I'm a fucking degenerate as well. But I remember that I had the first, no, the first game of the year, I think it was like six and a half. Are you saying Cowboys Bucks? I had Cowboys Bucks week one, the game in Tampa. I had Cowboys plus six and a half. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, same here. Same here. And the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys lost, of course, earlier this year, but I just don't think Dak is as bad as people as he's been playing, or as bad as people kind of been saying lately. Like I saw Dan Arlovsky rank the all the playoff quarterbacks one to fourteen. He put Dak twelfth, only above I know. Only above the two rookies. Only above Brock Purdy and Skylar Thompson. That's it. He was behind everyone else, which is pretty – I just I think we've gone too far. I don't think Dak – I think Dak can still find his elite form. And I just think with the combination of the Cowboys front and Dak kind of having a good game in the passing game. And if you remember in that season opener, they, like, never ran the ball. They didn't even try. They were like, if we run the ball, like, Vita Vea is going to shut everything down. And they had a very pass-heavy script. Dak, I think, had 50 pass attempts. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens again, where the Bucks run defense on the year, yes, it hasn't been the same, but Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks are healthy. They're 7-1 and one with Akeem Hicks and Vita Vea both in the lineup. They're 2-7 and seven when they're out of the lineup. So I do think that makes a big difference for their run defense. I think the Cowboys will throw a lot, and I think the Cowboys are going to win here. I, I think the Cowboys, the Bucks are the worst team against the spread in the NFL this year. 4-12-1. Four twelve and one, correct. They're the worst team against the spread in the entire NFL. People have been overrating them all year long. They're still the team in the playoff with a losing record. And I understand they didn't play their starters in the second half last week, but still, they are the eight and nine team in the playoffs. They took a terrible Cardinals team to overtime on Christmas, and that was only a few weeks ago. They were down twenty one ten in the fourth quarter of that Panthers game, and the sixteen Panthers- to three against the Saints a month ago. 
I just think that I don't think this team is as good as people. I get the Cowboys are fading. I get the Dak has played bad. I think people are still kind of giving the Bucks too much credit. I think they think this team is better than it is just because of that win over the Panthers. So for that reason, I'm going to pick the Cowboys. I think they've been the better team most of the year, and I think the resume is better. So I'm going to trust them to win this game. Can I give an X factor for the Cowboys, I think, if they're going to win? Sure. Dalton Schultz. Ooh, that's a good one. I yeah. think just look, because we know like CD, Zeke, Pollard, Gallup, those are all the guys that you think they're going to go to. I think if you get a Blake Jarwin more involved, I especially think if you can get Dalton, Dalton Schultz very involved in the passing game, that's something that can help the Cowboys win. Like if Kate Otten can get involved for a thing, or if Chris Godwin can have a good game, because guess what? I think you're going to see Trayvon Diggs on Mike Evans. So we'll see how that matchup goes. But when it comes down to the brass tacks of things, I think it's just more about which quarterback do I trust more to make a big play. And in that moment, I kind of want to go with the guy that I've seen do it for me and that I've supported for numerous years. So that's why I think at the end of the day, I trust uh, I trust Tom to get it done. And also, I got to say this. I saw ESPN's PR department tweet this out today that they have – I didn't realize how much coverage they are sending down to Tampa for this game. First take is going to be there. NFL Live is going to be there. Obviously, Monday Night Countdown, but that's just a given. I know it's their last game of the year, but ESPN is going all out for this. Why? Because when you turn on ESPN Tuesday or you go to YouTube at 10 a.m. Tuesday morning, you're going to see either a very depressed or a manic jackass version of Stephen A. Smith. You're (laughs) not going to see either one, which – I love the video from 2019 of him just crying, laughing in the bar, or even the one with the cowboy hat where he's just like, how y'all doing? And then he just starts laughing. Like, I know you're going to see that because Stephen A. Smith despises Dallas Cowboys. But but for those that haven't seen it on Thanksgiving this year, Stephen A. ranked his top five Thanksgiving games of all time. And all five of the games were like embarrassing Cowboys losses. It's, It's a fucking hilarious video. Highly recommend it. Favorite one of that probably still is 2017 or 2020 for me, 17 against there or there. But then you may be able to that next year because um, I, I'm, I'm saying this right now with Thanksgiving this coming year. It's going to be – I think you're. it's probably going to be Cowboys-Patriots. I think you could – you could. This is just a theoretical guess. I don't know this for sure. Don't be surprised, everyone. If the Dolphins play on Thanksgiving, I got the Thanksgiving game for you already. Dolphins-Chiefs mm-hmm. with Tyreek because that game – is in Arrowhead, Ooh. and it would be Tyree Kill's return back to you know his team of old. The Dolphins made the playoffs this year, so they will get more primetime games next year. I'll never forget when they made the playoffs in 2016, and the next year they were on primetime five times. And a lot of those games, they got their asses kicked. But it was just like, it, it's just what the NFL does. They don't project. They just literally look at last year's schedule, who won double-digit games, and they give them more primetime games. That's basically the formula. Um, also, I, there's something else I want to tweet out. So yeah, NFL media tweeted this out yesterday, basically about all the games with all the games this year that the NFL, their top five, four of them were Dallas Cowboy games. Yeah. I mean, that's why they look they like people say they're not really America's team because like they haven't won a championship in so long, but like from a marketing perspective, they're America's they, team, they, they get eyeballs. And I think so, some were even saying the reason why the Cowboys game is on Monday night football, instead of. Saturday afternoon Fox, like it usually is on Wild Card Weekend, is because the NFL felt bad about the Bills Bengals game getting canceled. They felt like they owed ESPN one. And when you owe ESPN one, what do you do? You give them the Cowboys. Like that's the, I mean, obviously playing Brady helps, but like that's, that's their make good. You know, the Giants Cowboys game on Thanksgiving got 42.1 million viewers. That's crazy. And the next, go ahead. What was next? Buffalo and Detroit at 31.9. So an extra 10 million people tune in just for the Dallas Cowboys. Think about that. That's why, and that's why to everyone watching, that's why they will always be the Thanksgiving mid-afternoon game. They will never be the first game. They will never be the primetime game. They will always be in that window, that 4 or 5 o'clock window. Where your uncle's snoring on the couch. Basically. Um, but no, my if I had to give a Thanksgiving slate preview for next year, I'm going to go Detroit, Minnesota. Just because I think you know you put divisional together, I'm going to say Cowboys Patriots. Just because Patriots are going to Dallas next year, and then the Saturday night game is usually like a marquee game between two great teams from the year before. Oh, how about this? So how about Sunday night? We just put together something like the Saturday, the, the Thursday night Thanksgiving game. We just put together like I don't know, Bengals Ravens for example. Bengals Ravens, like a division game between two great quarterbacks. You know, like. Because 
on Black Friday this year at three o'clock. You can put in your Dolphins Chiefs game in that window, standalone prime, which I don't know why the NFL hasn't done that sooner because the, that Friday pretty much it's meaningless college football. It's because college football that weekend is the Saturday when you have Michigan, Ohio State, and the Iron Bowl. I know also you get bedlam sometimes in there between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, but yeah, so that's why I'm just saying that for there. Um, also, too, we're just waiting, still waiting, we're still waiting on Greg. I want to talk about Monday night quickly. Obviously, it was 65 to 7. I didn't get to watch all the game because, well, long story short, your boy had really bad food poisoning Monday night. So I was passed out by 10. But um, for everyone out there saying that TCU didn't belong, no. TCU belonged. That game was just proof that the SEC is king. That game was proof that we had an elite program go up against a good program. It happens all the time in college football. So everybody out there saying TCU didn't belong. I'm sorry, TCU beat Michigan. Everyone thought Michigan was the crown jewel of college football this year. So for that, I'm going to say this. TCU, it's one of those at least you tried memes, like the Bart Simpson throwing out the cake. But at the end of the day, Georgia is there. But I'm not ready to go David Pollock and crown them the kings of college football yet. If they three-peat, however, I will say yes to that because you can tell Nick Saban sitting in the stadium on Natty Monday waiting for everything to go down. He's just like, he wants to be there next year. He wants to be in Houston next year for the Natty. And the only thing I'll say is I learned this this week. So everyone's been saying, why is this on Saturday? Saturday's college football day. It's ESPN who actually prefers to have it on a Monday than a Saturday, by the way. And also because of the 18th week, also it adds it adds to it as well. It, it's good that it's, you know, the last, like it's the last football game of the regular calendar you know it's the last yeah. day after the end of the regular season it's it's good that it's that i think it flows very nicely they get the they get the whole day to cover however they want like they kept saying oh yeah game starts at 7 45 but they were covering it from like 8 a.m to like when the game went off air and i saw a stat like when when we weren't sure if bills Bengals was going to get played or not that the uh, college football has a non-compete on that window so like if a week 18 game gets delayed because of weather or whatever and they have to move it to the next day like they did with Jets Bills like like seven years ago, they can't put it in the Monday night football slot. It has to be like earlier in the day because they cannot put any NFL game that competes with the college football national championship game. It's the same reason, too, why the NFL won't play on Saturdays, basically why they wait until week 15 to play on a Saturday because of that. And that's also one thing I'll say about next year's schedule, by the way. So for those of you who don't know, obviously, if you remember this year, Christmas was on the Sunday. We had three games. Christmas Saturday, Christmas Eve Saturday was like an NFL Sunday this year. Next year, I think we're going to get it like this. You're going to get a game Saturday night, or you might get it two games on like two an NFL Network doubleheader on the Saturday of Week 16, and then you're going to get a full slate Sunday, and then I guarantee you're going to get an ESPN doubleheader Christmas Day on the Monday because guess what? NFL once again kicked the NBA's ass in the ratings. It was like 25 million to like six million on average. Yeah, my dol- my my Dolphins ended up being in uh in one of the one of the higher rated games of the year, that Packers game, it was like 27 million or something like that. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, NFL is king. It always will be king for that reason. And that's not going to change particularly anytime. Oh, well, you know what, folks? Sometimes you have to go off. You have to do your own thing. Um, NFL is king for a reason because, look, they bring eyeballs in. They bring the world together. It's what they do. It's what the NFL is truly, truly best at. So... Oh, he is back. Like you said, so I was just going on basically saying NFL is king. NFL is just, you know what, at the end of the day, they bring us all together. It's what they do best. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but quickly, um, like we said, we're still waiting on Mr. Greg Thompson. We'll and, see what's and, going on. And I will say with TCU that uh, I, I don't – It's it would be a mistake, like you said, not just that they beat Michigan, but, you know, like Max Dugan was second in the Heisman race. Their offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, just got a job to be Clemson's offensive coordinator. So very clearly, like, they had a lot of genuine success. It wasn't fake, because if it was fake, would Dugan have rated so high in the Heisman rankings? Would, um, what's his name, uh, Garrett Riley, have gotten a job by Clemson and being pegged by Clemson to help fix their offense? And so I think that they had a really good year. You know, sometimes it's a matchup problem. Sometimes it's a bad day. Like, Max Dugan, TCU... Like they they're better playing from ahead, you know, because Matt you can utilize Max Dugan's rushing a lot more, and the running backs get involved in the game plan a lot more. And so them to get behind so early, Max Dugan had to make plays in the passing game. That's when he started turning it over. But that's 
That's not typical. Max Dugan had six turnovers in all of 2022. Yeah. Very low number. He had like three in that game alone. Like that was, it was just a bad matchup. I almost wish Ohio State had beaten Georgia and had made the kick because I think TCU would have competed with Ohio State really, really well. I think that would have looked closer to how it looked like versus Michigan because what people also don't know is that TCU, their strength on defense is their corners. They have a few corners that are going to go high in the NFL draft. But they've been very bad against tight ends. And I listened to a podcast that predicted this, that every like really good tight end in college football, when they played TCU, they either did their season average or did above their season average, right? So Georgia comes in with Brock Bowers, who's the best tight end in the country. Who's NFL ready to go right now, if you ask NFL me. Ready. He's only a, And unfortunately, he's only a sophomore. He has to wait another year. But for still like being NFL, like an absolute stud, and obviously Darnell Washington, the guy he plays ahead of, in the passing game is going to be drafted right now. And it's going to go high in the draft too. Probably second round. I think I've been seeing a lot, probably yeah. somewhere in the forties. Well, yeah, especially since like tight ends in general, just don't go as high as they used to anymore. Like I also good. may have done a PFF mock draft today while I was bored. So that's <laughs> me as well. And, and so the, the point being like Brock Bowers, like the podcast predicted that Brock Bowers would probably exceed their regular averages. And 160 Bowers, yards. Yeah, like Brock Bowers went way over his prop total. I think his prop total was like 68 was like, or something. I think it was like 79, actually. 79, and he went over it by a good bit. Like, it, it, they just, they're not built to stop to stop tight ends, which is why a matchup against Ohio State would have been so interesting because Ohio State's strength is the receiver room. It's Marvin Harrison. It's Egbuka. It's Fleming. Like, it's, you know, it's all those, like, stud five stars that they have on the roster. Well, I guess Jackson Smith and Jigba wasn't gonna, well, decided not to play in the postseason, yeah. which is a very interesting decision. But I think they, TCU is more well-suited to match up with guys like that than they are with someone like Brock Bowers. So I actually do think the game would have been closer had they played Ohio State. And I think it, they would not have gotten embarrassed the way they did. I think it was part matchup, part just having a bad day, part, you know, you start losing and things just start spiraling out of control on a big stage and you start freaking out. It was a lot of things. I don't think that's representative that they weren't a legitimately great team. So I, I just feel bad for their fans. Hopefully they can write it off as a win. You know, they lose Dugan, but, like, they still have a lot of – and I guess they did lose Garrett Riley. But Sonny Dykes had a really good year. Joe Gillespie, their defensive coordinator, he was a defensive coordinator at Tulsa the year before. And he was, like, a covering machine. Tulsa was, like, a covering machine, and they would do really well on defense relative to group five standards. So I think he actually is a really good coach. So I think they can build on this to some degree. Um, but, look, they, they won a college football playoff game. There's only, like – six teams ever that have won a college football playoff game. The stat is crazy. It's like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Oregon, and TCU. Like yeah. that's the list. Like Michigan's 0-2. It's a very impressive fraternity to be a part of, to say you've won a college football playoff game. And TCU gets to say that. So that's that's nothing to write. That's nothing to sneeze at, you know? That's where, and I'm pretty sure we can debate this all off season, but that's where when 12 teams come into play, that's going to be very shrunken down for lack of a better word, where it's not as prestigious anymore. Yeah. And I know Markeem's not going to like it, our friend, because some three lost teams are going to get into the playoffs. It's very possible uh, when you distill it down to 12. Um, But the benefit of it is that, there's no fluke in the national championship in a 12-team playoff. Let's say you went 12-0 and in the regular season and you played a total joke of a schedule. You didn't play anyone good. The one good team you played, their quarterback was hurt, you know, stuff like that. That team, if they really are frauds, they're not going to beat enough teams in a row to advance to the national title game because you would have to win three, I believe, games to yeah. win the national championship. So fraudulent teams, you know, you can get lucky one day, but it's really hard to get lucky two or three times. So I think we will do a better job of filtering that out. And again, I'm not saying that applies to TCU, but some teams in years past, you know, like the Michigan State team that lost like 37 to zero or something. It's like they in a 12 team playoff, they play one game, they lose, and then you don't have to see them in the semifinals. So. Yeah, so that's what that's exactly what I think. I my that's also my opinion too with the playoff. I always thought that eight teams was the sweet spot. I think 12 teams was like overkill, but I think it's just you know what? Oh, they're either giving us not enough or oh, they're giving us too much. So it's that like thin margin of error. I think it's 2025 that comes into play when the final. Correct me. No, 25 is Atlanta, and then 26 is in your backyard in Miami because I know 2021 they didn't really get a proper national championship, obviously, because of COVID. Um, But we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Um, But I did something today also. I was looking up Pete. uh, So Pete Thamel, obviously, senior writer, insider for College Game Day, for college football for ESPN. 
they ESPN already did a mock uh, top 25 for next year. And there's one team that caught me by surprise just because I don't pay too much attention to your ACC. I know it's just like I'm in Canada. College football coverage is kind of that uh, you kind of really have to go out of your way to find it, which I do like with Pete Thamel, Heather Dinich, et cetera, Paul Feinbaum. Besides those three, there's not a whole lot. Even Greg McElroy I'm starting to get more into. But Pete put a team in there that could potentially contend. I don't know if you're going to like this title, but I want to see what you have to say about this. And that's Florida State. Yeah, yeah. I already had a sense where you're going with that. I just wanted to see what you thought about that because he was saying that they could be a potential ACC championship and yeah. potential for knocking on the door of the playoff for 2023. So Florida State, Jordan Travis, their quarterback, is going to come back for another season. And Jordan Travis is like a really, really good player. And what was great this year, like he was the best FSU quarterback they've had since Jameis based on his performance this year. And he's coming back. And their whole coaching staff's coming back. And a lot of their best players are coming back. So they were nine and three. They went to a bowl game. They won their bowl game and they finished 10 and three. And they finished ranked either inside the top 10 or close to it. And I did see the coaches poll. They released a coaches poll of like your final rankings of every like power five head coach. And Florida State was constantly like in that six through 10 range. So given that and given the quarterback they have, it makes sense why like people would view them as like a team on the upswing for next year. Uh, I don't love it. Obviously I hate that team. Um, a Canes fan through and through. I'm actually wearing, it's kind of hard to see, but I'm kind of, we- I'm actually wearing a hurricane shirt. Right I love now. that shirt actually. Yeah. It's like a Heineken bottle that says yeah. football. Hurricane. That's yeah. awesome. Really cool. So I'm a big hurricanes fan. I hate Florida state. I always have my whole life. Uh, my girlfriend goes to FSU. So, or not goes, went to FSU. <laughs> I'm not young enough to be dating someone who's currently an undergrad, but my, my girlfriend went to FSU. So like, I'm, I have to, I do watch a lot of Florida State as a result through her. And I do think the team is going to play better, but I think contention, I think is tough because one, Clemson owns them. Firstly, they lost to Clemson this year. In Next year's game is going to be, yeah, club. So that's already going to be a really hard game for them to get on the schedule. The Canes were an absolute joke this year. They were five and seven. They were a historically bad Canes team, and FSU destroyed us at home, forty-five to three. Location doesn't really matter in that matchup. Like everyone says it all the time, whether it's home or away. Like Tallahassee or Miami, really competitive. Exactly. So I think they could still have a strong showing even in Florida State. Not saying they're going to beat Florida State, but I think they would have a better showing than than they did this year. And FSU this year also got a little lucky in a few games, like in the Louisville game, they were very lucky. To win at the lit. and there were a few other games like that that I I think FSU is going to be expected to compete for the ACC, but ultimately Clemson's better than them, and I think they're going to find their way to lose two or three games here and there, and they're probably going to have the same record they had this year, and they should still be celebrated for having back to back like nine to ten win seasons, but with this hype, I, people will view that as a disappointment, and people will start to get upset. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay, I was just curious because I saw that and that kind of caught me off guard where it's kind of like, okay, where did this team come from? What did this, like, where did they really get that from? Clemson's always the intriguing one because you're waiting to see how they rebound. But if I were to look at the playoff right now for next year, I have either certain teams, I want to say Georgia. Um, I'm going to say Bama because I think they clean up the penalties. I think that, look, they were uncharacteristically undisciplined in 2022. That was their big thing. And also, too, there were four games on their schedule that could have gone either way. There were four games. You had the Texas game, you had Texas A&M, you had Tennessee, and you had LSU. They win one of those games against Tennessee or LSU. They're in the playoff. That's no question about that. They probably win a playoff game too. Yeah. They probably beat Michigan. I think I think this is the year where Michigan kind of comes back to earth. I think this is that kind of Michigan had their like two years of fun. I think I still think they're going to be a very competitive football team. Don't get me wrong, but I can see Ohio State returning the Big 12 glory. I'm just saying that too because I feel like every year we always do this with Michigan where we get our hopes up. It's great, but then somehow they find a way to screw it over. Orange Bowl I view differently because I think that was just they like their their national championship was winning the Big 12, winning the Big 10 and beating Ohio State. But then this past year, everyone was like, you know what, Michigan, they're going to take care of TCU. But then TCU kind of showed us, hey. We're better than what you think. I I think Michigan. It will depend on the growth of JJ McCarthy. Yeah, um, because they're like Blake Corum already announced that he's coming back, which is wild. I mean, so he apparently tore his meniscus and he would miss the entire draft process if he declared. So that would maybe hurt his stock. But 
you know, if you come back, you risk getting hurt again. So I think that's a interesting decision. I don't think that's a guarantee that coming back is going to help raise rather than lower his stock. Uh, so I think it will depend on JJ McCarthy's growth and if he improves as a quarterback, because if they're so run game reliant and he can't make the plays in the passing game, you kind of saw in that TCU game, he threw two pick sixes. Like that's more stuff like that could happen more often if teams game plan against him specifically. If they try to stack the box and dare JJ McCarthy to beat them, will he handle that or will he kind of crumble? What helps Michigan is their schedule is a joke. Like a lot of those teams in the Big Ten aren't threats. So they get a lot of easy wins every year. Um, but we'll see with Harbaugh. I mean, is Harbaugh going to get one of these jobs? Like that obviously will significantly affect their future. I don't think so. I think the only way he would is if he were to be your head coach, because obviously the Stephen Ross School of Business exists for a reason. But that's that's, that's all I want to say about that. Um, and anyway, we're going to segue into this because we don't know if we're going to get the other tail of the tape for our guests for this weekend's matchup. So I'm going to ask you this right off the hop. Miami Dolphins win Sunday. What happens and why? Oh, God. Okay, so uh, Miami Dolphins win Sunday. What happens and why? So first, Can I get my take on it first? Or? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Defensively, play lights out, and you make Josh Allen's day hell. Get a couple of turnovers or get a couple of stops. Turn what would be seven points into three. And for the love of God, don't repeat what New England did and don't allow to kick off return touchdowns. That would go go a long way towards helping. That's what I think. Yeah, my, my bad. I had a military glitch there. Yeah, that would go a long way towards helping. Um, <laughs> but here's – okay, so whenever you're an underdog, a big underdog, you have to win the turnover battle, clearly. Yeah. So. Here's what separates this big underdog from other big underdogs you see in football. In theory, in the playoffs, both teams are good. It's not like when the Colts are 10-point underdogs or something. And, okay, but the Colts are throwing interceptions. They're fumbling. You can't do that as the underdog. It's like, you can't, but they're a bad team. They're more likely to turn it over than a good team is. So you would hope that when in a battle between two good teams, the good team would not have a turnover problem. That's what you would hope. So... You need, first and foremost, the most important thing they need if they're going to win this game is they need a non-offensive touchdown. Whether that's a kick return of their own, whether that's an Xavier Howard pick six. Here's a stat most people might not know about the Dolphins. And I guess you could argue it was just regression from the previous years. Dolphins led the NFL in turnovers in 2020 and 2021. Or, or they were, and I think, or they were tied with the Bills. They were first or second. This year, the Dolphins are second to last in takeaways in the NFL. Xavier Howard, in 2020, had 10 interceptions. Xavier Howard, this year, has had zero interceptions. They, Brandon Jones and Javon Holland, what they did last year very, very well is they would blitz with their safeties all the time. And I always talked about this with Greg whenever Greg's on. Like, they blitz with their safeties constantly. It's one of the hallmarks of their defense. Their general defensive philosophy is we're going to blitz like crazy. We're going to play man coverage in the back. Very similar to what the Patriots often do. Even the Patriots don't always blitz, but you know what I mean. Like a yeah, it's, a lot, it's a lot of man coverage, yeah. In the mid-2000s, in the mid-2010s, you saw this shift <clears throat> where Belichick and a bunch of other teams realized we can't play heavy zone coverage because there's too many good quarterbacks in the league. You got guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan, these really, really smart pocket passers. They know where all the holes in the zone are. So when the league was dominated by veteran quarterbacks for so long, then that's where you get a situation where zone coverage would just get diced up. Like whenever you played zone against Brady, it was like a death wish. That's when you always find the random slot receiver, five yards past the first down line. That's wide open. Like no one's around him. That's because that's a hole in the zone, and they were very good at scheming the routes to get there. So you saw that in the mid-2000s. <clears throat> now it is the game is different. Now instead of a bunch of heady veteran pocket passers in their mid-30s, now you got a bunch of young athletic freaks in their 20s that like to scramble. They like to either run vertically or run horizontally. And Josh Allen's a great example of this. Yes, he rushes a lot. This is one of his better rushing seasons of his career. But furthermore, he loves to scramble to his left or to his right 
and will throw a bomb downfield or throw something across his body. And he has the arm strength to get it through at the delayed reaction of the defense. So this is kind of the new way of the NFL. You see Josh Allen do it. You see Mahomes do it. You see Lamar do it. Even Burrow. Like Burrow's very good at extending plays, moving to his right, moving to his left, and throwing off platform, stuff like that. So these kind of coverages are really bad for man coverage because especially when you blitz, these quarterbacks are still elite enough court. They're still heady enough to avoid the blitz to know, okay, the blitz is coming. I got to get rid of this ball quickly, but also so much man coverage, whenever they're running or whenever they're scrambling side to side, you kind of break the discipline of the defense. And that's why like Josh Allen, like beats up the Patriots defense every time, because that Patriots style is exactly what Josh Allen is designed to beat. Same thing with Lamar. Lamar's always played well against the Patriots with the one exception of that weather game in 2020. Like, same reason. Like, it kind of breaks a lot of their core concepts. The whole defense is built on playing man coverage. And man coverage is very bad for running quarterbacks. It's very bad for scrambling quarterbacks. Furthermore, you're seeing these wide receivers come into the league that are just elite and are consistently beating man coverage, like Jamar Chase, like Justin Jefferson, like Tyree Hill still in his prime, Stephon Diggs still in his prime. You know, you're kind of seeing that the top receivers – are making the most money that's not quarterbacks. Like someone posted on Twitter the other day, is a wide receiver one the second most important position in football now? Not left tackle, not pass rusher? Because, what, what, sorry, were you going to say something? I mean, we'll find out in Foxborough in a couple months when, uh, you know, if a nuke drops. So we'll just, (laughs) we'll, we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait to see what happens with there. Um, But you know what? I firmly agree with you about the wide receiver one becoming important because look, I think, you know, obviously how you're saying the Josh Allen thing killed momentum for that. I think the wide receiver one conversation opened up, honestly, with Stephon Diggs going to Buffalo, where you realize, hey, you get a quarterback, a proper wide receiver one, they can do great things. We're seeing it even with the issue with Tua and Tyreek Hill, injuries aside, we wish Tua nothing but the best, speed recovery, but we now know he's the guy in Miami. We know, too, that I think, with the exception of Josh Boyer, I think Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel, they're, they're safe. I even think next year there's no worry about a hot seat unless the Dolphins miss the playoffs, unless the, unless, you know what? I think if the Dolphins go to nine and eight or 10 and seven again, I think that's still viewed as a successful season. Just be in the mix. And so I do agree that, that I do agree with you on that. And I do think this has been a successful season, but the reason I went on that long diatribe about man and blitz is that yes, you're seeing now these new quarterbacks, maybe it's better to play more zone coverage again. And it's not that they're dumb or anything. Of course not. It's just that, you don't make it so easy where they can just win off their athleticism. Like when they can just throw a rocket downfield because your corner's one-on-one with a stud like Diggs or Chase that they have no chance of covering and they're just wide open down the field, you just make the game easy for guys who have the ability to scramble or the ability to make those throws. So that's why for the Finns, in week three, they did something very smart. They were blitzing a lot in the part of the game and they were getting carved up when they did it. And they switched and they stopped blitzing. And they made the Bills go down the field, go on long drives, go on 10 to 15 play drives, hitting check downs, hitting short throws here and there, you know. And they were daring the Bills to win that way instead of by a thousand cuts. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't want to do that against Brady or Peyton, but against the Bills, why not? Like we saw in that Patriots game, the Bills offense struggled at times. And those two touchdowns to John Brown and Stephon Diggs, those are 50-yard plays. Like those are – like. Dagger in the heart bombs, you know? Like those, those are fuck are... you throws by Josh Allen. And so, like, I, I I just I would try to limit those as best I can. So I think the way they contain the Bills, you play zone, you don't blitz. Your front four, you hope they get there. You traded a first round pick for Bradley Chubb. You gave him $20 million. You drafted Jalen Phillips in the first round. Christian Wilkins, everyone says is one of the best DTs in the league now. He is. They're considering giving him a big contract in the offseason. So all these pieces. You should trust to get there. And what did I say earlier? The blitzing safeties, Brandon Jones tore his Achilles and it's out for the season. Brandon Jones, week one against your Patriots, he sacked Mac on that blindside blitz and Mac fumbled and was picked up by Melvin Ingram, taken to the end zone. Brandon Jones isn't here anymore. Week three, Javon Holland blitzes off the side of the edge and causes Josh Allen to do a strip sack. And uh, the Dolphins scored from like the five yard line. It was a big play in the game. Javon Holland has been blitzing less and less often because now that Brandon Jones is gone, Byron Jones, gone for the year, never came back, played zero snaps for the Dolphins this year despite taking up a huge portion of their cap. So they're playing a lot of special teamers and UDFAs at cornerback. They play Xavier Howard, they play Cater Kohu, and then they play a lot of Keon Cross and Justin Bethel. 
and which is wild because those guys are career special teamers that are being asked to play cornerback snaps. Keon Crossan, for anyone listening, if you want to see one of the worst pass interference penalties you'll ever see in your life, go watch the Dolphins-Patriots Week 17 game where the Patriots, when it was 16-14 and the Patriots drove to make it 23-14, the play that got them in the goal line was like – it was like third and ten or whatever – and Mac throws to Jacoby Myers near the goal line, and Keon Cross just mugs him, just like jumps all over him, throws him to the ground. The kind of assault that you would get arrested in real life if you did that to a random stranger. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And that put the Patriots in the goal line, and then they scored on the open play to Jacoby Myers later. So Crossin is a problem. Crossin, if there is a if there is someone that's going to be picked on in this game, it could be Keon Crossin. This could be a situation where you see that jersey number, 27. That's his number, guys. Number 27, Crossin, like constantly like getting picked on by like John Brown or Beasley. Apparently Isaiah McKenzie might not play in this game. I heard that. I don't know. I, the rumor I've been hearing from Bill's fans and Bill's Twitter is that because of Cole Beasley's elevation, they think Isaiah McKenzie's probably not going to play in this game. That's quietly pretty good for the Dolphins because Isaiah McKenzie has kind of burned us quietly through the slot over the years. I know this has been an up and down year for him and people haven't been happy as happy with him, but still, like I, I think as the Dolphins, you would take that over um, getting Colby or okay, take Cole Beasley in there at his older age. So the Dolphins secondary, if you blitz Josh Allen constantly and you leave these cornerbacks on islands, that Josh Allen's going to get rid of the ball quickly and then your corners are going to get roasted because they don't have the ability to withstand that kind of island pressure. That's why you – I would just play a cover two, basic zone, never blitz. Have the safeties prevent all those big plays that the Bills like to do and help out your cornerbacks. Give safety help to all those guys. They've – they've one good thing the Dolphins did against the Bills offense this year is Stephon Diggs. I'll give you two stats right now. Stephon Diggs in the first game against the Dolphins on nine targets, nine targets, he went five for 60, no touchdowns. In the rematch, on 11 targets, he went 7 for 74, no touchdown. In the rematch, he only averaged 10.6 yards per catch. That is his second lowest yards per catch average of the season. The only one lower was that game against the Lions on uh, Thanksgiving, believe it or not. So, yeah, the point is, five, uh, 11, 7 for 7, I, that order slipped, by the way, 7 for 74 <laughs> was the first All game. It's all good. You get, you get it, though. The point yeah. is... Seven for 74 in the first matchup on 11 targets, five for 60 in the second matchup on nine targets. So two relatively pedestrian games for Diggs, no tar- no touchdowns in either game. Xavier Howard's generally done a decent job on him. And when Xavier's not on him, they'll usually double team him. They'll put Kater Kohu on him and have the safety come in for safety help. Um, kind of like that Belichick model where sometimes you double team the wide receiver one and then put your best corner on the wide receiver two. Like the Dolphins definitely like to adopt that approach. So, They've done a good job on Diggs, generally. He's going to get some yards, like it is what it is. It's football. But they've generally done a decent job. So my hope is you play a cover two zone. You make them go down the field. Don't blitz. Do a decent job on Diggs. And maybe you limit the Bills to like 23 points. And if you can do that and you get a non-offensive touchdown, that is key, whether it's a pick six or a kick return, that is necessary in this game, you'll do okay. And then you just have to hope Skyler Thompson last week. I, I know it wasn't impressive. I know it wasn't anything to write home about. They only scored nine points. He only averaged like five yards an attempt. He also didn't turn it over. And that's kind of what we wanted was no interceptions. He didn't turn it over at all. In that game. If he and, and under 40 was basically – under 38 and a half was basically free. It, it was – it was <laughs> that was free cooking. You could have done under 30 and a half, like, and it would have been free cooking. And so Skyler – I don't think Skyler is going to play that well, but you know, McDaniel's a schematic genius. Can they come up with a clever play where they scheme the ball to Tyreek Hill and he gets a 50 yard touchdown? It's not out of the realm of possibility. The kind of play where Tyreek does all the work, not the quarterback. So the Dolphins are not a very good screen team this year because like that's where Gusecki not being a good blocker hurts. That's where their tackles being injured for most of the year hurts because they don't get a lot of good blocking out on the out on the perimeter uh, when they do throw a screen pass. It's it's not worked very well at all for them this year. But maybe you find clever ways to in- introduce them into the game and hope they break a fifty yard touchdown, a jet sweep, you know, a little curl route that you can maybe get upfield the right way. One of those throwback passes. Skyler throws it to Cedric Wilson, and I think you will. Be on the lookout for this in this game, fans. I think this is important. Cedric Wilson was a high school quarterback. Cedric Wilson is the emergency quarterback on the team. 
And so everyone always knows that McDaniel, the creative genius, he almost certainly has a package in there where Cedric Wilson throws passes. We've only seen it once. And the one time Cedric was going to throw, like everyone was covered downfield. So he just kind of ran around with the ball and it was a dead play. Yeah. Do something like Skyler throws to Cedric Wilson and Cedric Wilson throws it back to Tyree Kill on the other side of the field. And then you get like blocker space and you get a little play there. You're going to need trick plays like that to score enough offensive points. So my hope as a fan is the offense can score, you know, 17 with some trick plays. Maybe you get that non-offensive touchdown. And if you play discipline on defense and don't blitz, maybe you can hold the Bills to 23. This is all a maybe. They're 13-point underdogs. They're the biggest underdogs in the history of the wildcard round. If Skylar Thompson has a three-interception game and gives them short field, they'll get blown out of the building. It'll be embarrassing. So, one, is Skylar Thompson going to turn it over? Two, can they get a non-offensive touchdown? Three, are they not going to blitz? And four, do they have enough creative trick plays to generate offensive points without relying on Skylar Thompson? That's the four keys to win. Basically, it's a very famous meme that's gone viral recently as I hold a tied to go stick. Miami, you have to fuck around. You have to find out. <laughs> you fuck around to find out. They are that is literally what they have to do. That's also the title name for this episode, but there's an asterisk where the U is for uh, sensory reasons. That yeah. is literally what the Dolphins have to do. You have to fuck around with these plays. You have to see what's going to work because you don't know if you don't try it. And you're going to find out, does it work? Does it not work? I'm still going to go with Buffalo to win the game at the end of the day. But I wouldn't be shocked if Miami covers the 13 and a half only for these few reasons. It's a divisional game. It's a game everyone's expecting a blowout in. And at the same time, too, the term any given Sunday exists for a reason. And I will say there's been some Bills fans that have compared the Dolphins-Bills series to Dolphins-Patriots from last year. They say, oh, the first game was a weather game then the rematch, and then we blew them out in the playoffs. I think that is unfair because our weather game is not the same as the weather game last year. No. (laughs) I I was – Heat to extreme wind is not the same. And I was in that building. These Bills fans would have you think they were playing in the fucking Sahara. Like, it was fine. It was normal September weather. I guess the same Bills Bills fans laughed at us for going down there a week early to get ready for week one. And, and yes, I get the Bills players didn't adjust very well to it, and you had a lot of injuries and a lot of guys cramping up during the game. Oh, Florida flu. It's not like that game was 150 degrees. Like, what the hell are people talking about here? They played a normal game. And if you thought it was a fluke, didn't the rematch prove you wrong? Didn't the rematch that it was a three-point game on the road kind of prove that you were wrong in thinking the first game was a fluke? And it annoys me so much as a fan. I'm so mad that Tua can't play this game not just because the last time the Dolphins were in the playoffs was 2016 and Matt Moore was their quarterback and they lost 30 to 12. And it just, every Dolphin fan, it just kind of feels like that's how this game is going to go. But it's annoying to me because I have a bunch of Bills fans saying they're, they, they're, they think they're going to blow us out again. And I'm tired of the disrespect, but I don't have my quarterback. So it very well could be a blowout, but it's annoying because it shouldn't be if the quarterback was healthy. And they're fucking wrong in thinking that it should be when they've beaten us by a combined point differential of one. This year, they <laughs> lost by two and then they won by three. One point, baby. That's all it is. But yeah, you're literally right where their weather is different than your weather. Your weather is one of those things where it, it, it just it is what it is. It's heat to the elements where I live because where I live is about, I don't know, 75 to 100 minutes from Orchard Park, New York. Um, one quick question before you go. Obviously, today, Bill's Chiefs was announced if it does happen. In Atlanta. Do you think this is the start of something new with the NFL more than the actual decision to go play in Atlanta? Do you think neutral site championship games become a thing, or do you think this is a one-off? It's possible. I think it's a test. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think it's a decent experiment uh, for it to see how it goes, see the res- what the reception is. Uh, because the one seed will still get an advantage. Getting that bye is massive. Getting yeah. to play the worst playoff team in the bracket remaining is massive. Like, it's not just that the Chiefs get a bye. It's that the Chiefs don't have to play the Bills or Bengals in the second round. That is a huge advantage for the Chiefs. So, uh, yeah, I think it's certainly possible that this becomes a thing. I think that they're going to see how the week goes. They're going to see how the ticket sales for that game go, what the, elect- what the, you know, the motivations are, how the enjoyment of the event is. They're going to look at all that stuff before they decide. 
I completely agree with that. My only other thing is too, is just, I don't know how it factors in. If you just do a rotation of stadiums to always play it in Southern climate, or do you do it in some cities, you know, sometimes you do it in a winterized climate. It, but I think it's one of those things though, where it's like, okay, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. If Bill's chiefs happens, but also too, it's them peeping up. It's them peeling behind the curtain and you're going to wait and see what happens. So let's cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, let's just enjoy wildcard weekend. We'll talk later. Sometimes stuff comes up, folks. Greg Tomset, we're think we're wherever you are right now. Um, we know you're doing good. Well, nothing wrong. Just saying, folks. This stuff, this stuff happens. Life gets in the way sometimes. But that's gonna do it here. Episode two hundred and six in the books. Last week was a bit of a somber week. Uh, Big route. One thing I actually wanted to reach out to you, and I'm also gonna shut him on the air. Randy sent me a message, basically thanking me for the two episodes last week, which meant a lot because I'll be honest with you guys, I was really scared to record those just because it was a situation yeah. I never expected to put myself into. But when you're a football podcaster, sometimes you gotta when the bell rings, you just gotta answer it, and that's something I was very proud to do. And Big Rat, I was very thankful to have you on here as well to kind of help explain everything to the viewers as well and how we were feeling. I enjoyed it too. I had a good time. So thank thank you. It was fun. It was fun. Anytime. Anyway, folks, we got a big one next week. Trust me, you're not going to want to be here. Pat Lane's coming back to the show. We also have some stuff in the works for Divisional Round Weekend. But anyway, guys, enjoy Wild Card Weekend. Enjoy it all because guess what? In two months, you're going to be clamoring for football games when we miss it the most. And no, the XFL does not count. Have a good night. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.